everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? That is pretty good for a Tuesday. Welcome again to Chi Alpha. My name is Melissa. Um, if I haven't met you before, I'm on staff with Chi Alpha here. Um, and I'm excited to get the chance to share with you guys tonight. I feel like parents at the beginning of a, a talk or whatever, they always want to like show you a picture of their kid. So because I'm a parent now, I'm going to do that because that's what we do. So that's a picture of me and my husband, Tony. Tony, where are you at? He's out there. <laughs> There's Tony. Tony's also on staff with Chi Alpha. And that is our 16-month-old son, Tyler. And just in case you think he only has a gangster face and never smiles, I put a picture, a selfie we took. I hope this isn't, like, bad to say, but we can get him to, like, cheesy smile on command. We're just like, Tyler, cheesy smile. And he's like. <laughs> Super fun. Hopefully that's not, like, illegal. Um, like Michael said, parents don't really know what they're doing. Anyways, I don't know every single one of you yet, and a lot of you guys are probably brand new here tonight, so I just want to say a special welcome to you guys. I would bet that each of your guys' lives have been marked by some significant experiences or thingies that have really shaped you as a person. I know for myself, my life has been filled so far with a lot of those, and oftentimes you like don't know that something's going to be like that when you're in it, you know, but it's like a while later when you check in your rearview mirror and see your life in hindsight, you're like, oh my gosh, that thing changed me. That friendship changed me. That core group changed me. I had no idea when I was just signing up for a retreat or whatever. Um, so as we start off tonight, I would like to start by telling you guys a story of an invitation that changed me for good. So back in the day, in ninth grade, I was about to begin my last year of this thing called junior high school. Have you guys heard of that? It's like pre-middle school. It's OG. So Redmond Junior High, where I went, the grades were 7 through 9, high school was 10 through 12. Um, but ninth graders were allowed to play for high school sports teams because everybody else was 9 through 12, whatever. Um, so before the school year started, but when the sports teams were getting going, um, I tried out for the high school girls soccer team. And halfway through tryouts, I got cut. So the next day, thank you so much. <laughs> I wish you were there with me. So that next day, after I got cut, like a boss, I was sitting at home thinking, they cut me, they cut me good. And then this thing called my home telephone rang. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but we had them back, back then in ninth grade. And uh, this person on the phone said, hey, Melissa, it's Coach Bill of the Redmond High School cross country team. I see you're not playing soccer this fall. I wanted to know if you want to come out for cross country. As I heard this surprising invitation from a running coach, my initial answer was all kinds of no. Here's what I was thinking in that moment, but that I don't think I told him. First of all, way too soon, way too soon. I'm so busy like pouting because I just got cut yesterday and all my hopes and dreams were crushed. Second of all, I hate running. I'm a soccer player and in most real sports, running equals punishment and I don't want to just sign up to be voluntarily punished every day. <laughs> Thought that was smart. Third of all, runners are weird. Have you guys ever seen cross-country runners training? I'd seen glimpses of this strange breed of athletes warming up around the track while I was on the soccer field. But their warm-ups, or whatever they were, looked like auditions for the Nutcracker or the Fairy Ballet. Have you guys, like, seen this happen? They're, like, jumping and swinging their arms and legs. And the other weird thing is that runners always look so happy. They just, like, have these big grins as they're, like, swinging their legs and arms and just leaping around the track. So as us, like, soccer players and football players are, like, sharing the turf and the runners are just leaping all around us, they just look like weird 
grinning, leaping fairies in short shorts. <laughs> so I said my no thank you to Coach Villeneuve and hung up the phone, and that was that. And then fast forward, sophomore year, junior year, I did make the school, cross the school soccer team, um, and I love playing for my school. But come time for senior year, my best friend and I both decided we weren't going to go out for the soccer team anymore because seniors were only allowed to play varsity, and it was, like, super political, and, it, you know, the team was already picked uh, from a long time ago. So we decided we didn't want to go through that. So we both started thinking about trying cross country. She'd started running track, my best friend, um, and I was – kind of at a point of thinking, well, I've played soccer my whole life. Um, I, still, I still was going to play soccer for my, like, rec team. But my dad had been telling me stories about when my dad ran cross country. And I just started kind of thinking, like, that's a thing people do, weirdos. But, like, you know, it's a challenge. I kind of feel like I want to see if I could do it. So I started thinking about that, if I wanted to take on that challenge. But did I want to become a leaping fairy? That was kind of the question. So lo and behold, just before the school year starts, senior year of high school, this thing called my family's home phone rings again. Hey, Melissa, it's Coach Ville, the Redmond High School cross-country team. I see you're not playing soccer. I think you love cross-country. I don't know how he knew that because he didn't know me, except for that one phone call three years ago. Are you interested in coming out for the team? This time, I said yes to that invitation. And saying yes to that invitation changed me more than I ever expected. Um, like last week, Michael talked about the word devotion and what that means. I totally devoted myself to the challenge of cross-country. I went to every practice. I did every workout. I wanted to see what running was all about and if I could do it, right? So I figured the best way, the only way to really see that was to just totally commit and go all in and see where it took me. And if I died, I died. But, like, I was going <laughs> to go all in. So I did whatever the coaches said. They told us what kind of power breakfast to eat on race day, and I was like, boom, energy. That's oatmeal and honey, man. They told us to run more hills. Hills are this thing that we mostly have on the west side. But there's two in Ellensburg. I can tell you where they are if you want. Um, they tell us to run more hills, and I run more hills. They yelled, at me, yelled out to me in a good way at the end of my races to, like, start my finishing kick and start, like, sprinting towards the finish line. And I like to save it up until I could see the finish line because then I could ration my energy. I'm a planner. Anyways, they would tell me to, like, start sprinting earlier, and I would do it. Um, and I trusted them. And I never died just in case you didn't know. I never died. It was never as hard as I thought, and I grew so much through this experience. Becoming a runner, yes, I did become a runner, that caused me to find a part of myself that I never knew before. I didn't really know the terms like extrovert and introvert before this time in my life, actually before Chi Alpha, um, but it running helped my inner introvert really come alive because playing soccer doesn't really allow you to just like mentally chill and think about your life, reflect on boys and family and what's going on. Because if you do that, you're going to get wrecked. <laughs> and I couldn't really just relax and sit back and chill and think in, like, my family or my house with, like, chaotic family stuff and, like, younger siblings running around. I didn't even know that I needed that kind of space to, like, gather myself as a person. And the other introverts just want to gently nod that you know what I'm talking about. But for me, whatever it was, instantly going on a run and just, like, turning that corner on my parents' house, I would just, like, feel alive and, like, feel peace and stillness. Like, I could process. Like, the chaos at home, I could think through. The stuff I was stressed about, I could, like, work on. It instantly helped me sort through the stuff that I was going through. And it really helped me pray and think. It helped me grow my relationship with God. Because I really learned how to think about him and talk to him and just kind of worship him on runs. 
And eventually, I did learn to like those nutcracker arm like swinging warm-ups where you look like fairies in short shorts. They're actually pretty fun. Stretches you out. So anyways, saying yes to this invitation ended up totally transforming me as a person, as an athlete, and as somebody who followed Jesus. And actually, like Michael talked about last week when he also told a story about running, by the way, not everyone on staff are crazy runners. This was just two stories in a row. Um, by joining a cross-country team, I had accidentally joined a family. And it was a team who supported each other in our running and in our lives. Because like a lot of other sports, not all sports, but a lot of sports, your teammates are kind of in competition for playing time or starting spots. Like It's a little bit harder. But running, by getting the most playing time, you just are slow. <laughs> so <laughs> it works really well. So you can like really support each other. Um, so when I was struggling in a workout or struggling in a race, um, my teammates would cheer me on during a race if I'd wonder if I could keep going or if I should just kind of be lazy and slow down. I'd turn the corner and there would be a teammate yelling, go Redmond, go Melissa. And that gave me the motivation to speed up and pass the runner from the rival school in front of me, which I won't name because you could get in here. <laughs> Although you're way too young. But anyways, I could say so much more about this, but in summary, Saying yes to this invitation from Coach Bill on my home telephone was such a decision that changed me for good. And last week, um, we had our first message in our new series this fall um, called Who We Are. Who We Are. And each week, we're going to be looking into one of the five foundations of who we are in Chi Alpha. Last week, just to fill you in if you weren't here or to kind of refresh us if we were, Michael talked to us about how we are a, fe a community of fellowship. So each of us who follow Jesus, we share in his life. And we as a whole community, we share this Jesus life in common. Some of us in this room or in Chi Alpha never heard about Jesus before. Some of us are kind of learning and checking it all out right now. Some of us have loved Jesus for a long time. Some of us have gone to church for a long time because of family or whatever, but maybe haven't seriously chosen to follow Jesus all in ourselves. So it doesn't, it, no matter where you're pre presently at, Wherever you're at is awesome, and I'm so glad that you're here with us in this community tonight. Because we're considering what it means to be his people together. So thank you for being here. I'm excited to go on the journey with you. And really, when I was thinking about fellowship and kind of transitioning into, you know, our topic tonight of discipleship, I was thinking about some of the best news about fellowship is why can we share in this Jesus life together in a totally unified, non-competitive, non-comparing each other or whatever way? It's because we didn't do anything to earn our life with Jesus. We all share 100% equally, um, whether you're Michael or whether you accept Jesus tonight or whatever, all of us share 100% equally in this life with Jesus. There's no favoritism. There's no, like, trophies that we've earned. Because the entire life of following Jesus is made possible because of what he did, not because of what we've done. We can't earn it or make ourselves good enough or clean up our lives enough or perform any certain way to make God like us. Um, none of us could ever make ourselves holy enough or pure enough on our own. And so that's why the good news is that God took action because he could do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. God sent his own son Jesus to earth to live among people. Jesus came, I always say this, as God in the bod to bring us back to God again. And Jesus, when he came, he didn't live the way that the religious hoity-toities, I just wanted to use that word, the way that they, in his day, thought that he should live. He chose justice over appearance. Jesus chose righteousness over reputation. Jesus chose pain for our good 
over self-promotion or self-advancement. Jesus showed the people in his day, and he shows us now through the Bible, God's character, God's heart, God's mind, God's actions, and God's instructions for how he longs for humans to come back home into relationship with him and join him in making this world right again. So as Jesus went around, he healed the sick, he raised the dead, he fought injustice, he challenged the status quo, and ultimately, he did the only thing that could fully make a bridge to help us come back with to God again by dying on the cross for our sin. So the good news is that Jesus paid the full penalty for everything you and I, everyone in Chi Alpha and outside of Chi Alpha has ever done, everything we've thought, everything we have or haven't done, as well as all the wrong that was done to us. He paid for that 100%. It is finished. Jesus took all the pain of our brokenness and our consequences of evil on himself so that we could get made new. We could be receive new life, life to the fullest. Jesus took the life, the death that we deserved so that we could have the life he deserved. Jesus became like us so we could become like him. And I just wanted to go into all of that tonight um, because, A, it's the most important news on the, on the planet, and B, because that's why we can enter in as a community of fellowship because we're all equal recipients of the action that God did. Um, and that's such an exciting thing because none of us are like on a different level than each other. Jesus did all that for you. And no matter what you think of yourself or what you've done, God did that for you 2,000 years ago. It's already, it's already happened because he loves you. Same amount as he loves me, which he says is how much he loves his son Jesus. Full and perfect love. So that's the reason we get a share in this shared Jesus life together because God's done everything needed to make that happen for all of us. Um, and so as a community, we're just like responding to that perfect love. We're not here to perform. We're here to receive and respond to that perfect love. Say, God, I love you. I, I want to be like you. And so that's what our topic tonight is all about, of discipleship. How do we become like Jesus through responding to his invitation to be his disciples? So tonight, who we are, we're looking at, we're a community of discipleship. And to start things off, um, in this part of the message, we'd like to give a gift to you. Chi Alpha has approximately one billion Bibles, um, and we would love to give them out to you for you to enjoy. And so um, you can get one right now to follow along through the message. You can take it home if you want to, keep reading it. Um, but if you would like one, they're just going to pass it out. Nobody else is looking. This is the international sign for a Bible, please. So just do that if you want one. Thank you, guys. So discipleship, what is that fancy Bible word all about? Okay, when you read the biographies of Jesus, which are like the books in the Bible titled Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, might be weird names for biographies about Jesus, those are the names of the dudes who were Jesus' closest followers and friends, and they penned down stories afterwards. So it's their names. The stories are about Jesus. Um, you're going to read so many s true stories in those four little books. In lots of those stories about Jesus, you'll see him doing miracles or healing people or talking to a certain person, and it might look like he's doing it as a one-man show. But the more you read, you'll discover that the bulk of Jesus' ministry wasn't just him standing before a crowd of thousands of people. There's not <laughs> thousands of people here, but, you know, he did at times teach and minister to big crowds, but in reality, he spent most of his days and hours and weeks and years training up his core group, his 12 guys. He spent three whole years with these same 12 guys. Why do you guys think that the king of the universe would do that? 
one of the first answers that comes to my mind is he wanted them to know him really well. Don't you get to know people um, that you spend a lot of time with? I bet some of you freshmen, um, if you've like clicked with some people in your res hall, it's shocking how much you know about each other already, like how fast you become friends on campus. Um, you know people really well when you hang out with them, and as long as you're talking, not just on your phone. Um, if you join a core group, you'll figure this out by Thanksgiving when you're like, dang, I know the people in my core really well. Like, we're way tighter than I thought we would be at the start of the year. You'll know your facilitators really well because they're not just going to share, like, a Bible study from 7 to 8.30 or whatever with you. They're going to share their life with you and, like, what they go through and what they laugh about and their memes and whatever. Um, so Jesus did the same thing minus the memes. He poured his hours and days and weeks into these 12 men so that more than just knowing his teaching, they would know his life. They would know his heart. They would know his priorities and his relationship with the Father. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible gods in Colossians. And one analogy of what that looks like is kind of like Jesus is standing on like a corner with like a really tall building right there, like the corner of the super tall building. And we, humanity, are like down one side of the sidewalk on one side of the building. And God is down the other side of the sidewalk um, of the same building. And Jesus is standing right here at the corner of the V. And he's holding a huge mirror showing us exactly what God looks like right there. Jesus came to be the image of the invisible God. Um, and he shows us exactly what God is like. So as Jesus spent these three years with these 12 guys and occasionally teaching crowds, he taught them about their world. He taught them about the ways that the kingdom of darkness was messing up their culture and their society. He told them what God's kingdom, which he came to bring into their broken world, our broken world, he taught them what that kingdom's actually like. Jesus brought his 12 guys with him as he reached out to those that society had rejected and he restored their dignity. As he healed diseases, and broke chains of bondage and addiction. Jesus modeled how God's people are to function in this world, this broken world, and how to minister to the lost and hurting. So the summary of what I'm saying is, Jesus didn't come to do a one-man show, but he came to spark a movement of changed people who would change the world. Jesus didn't come to entertain an audience. He came to inspire an army of world changers. And many of us are in this room tonight because those 12 guys were changed and they met and poured their lives into others who met and poured their lives into others. And 2,000 some years later, so many of us are sitting here tonight having been transformed from the inside out by the same Jesus. That's essentially <laughs> a, a version of the story of what a discipleship it means. But if we're breaking it down, what is this call to be a disciple? I'm gonna talk about it three ways. Um, the first is a call to leave. Second is a call to be with, and third is a call to go and multiply. Let's look at the first part, a call to leave. How many of you guys like coffee? How many of you guys like good coffee? There was like more hands for that one than the first one. Okay, so I know our definitions of, of good coffee can vary quite a bit, but wherever you fall on like instant coffee granules to Folgers, way over here to like Starbucks, to like super hippie roast your own beans in your dorm kitchen type of a thing. Like wherever you fall on that spectrum, here's a brief story. I was preparing you, it's a sad story, but with a good ending. Um, 
I remember a, few, a time a few years ago when I was about to leave me and Tony's apartment to go meet Michael for a one-on-one. -on -one. I wanted to make sure that I brought some coffee because I had a lot of hours of work to do after our meeting. And this is a sad part. Unfortunately, at that point in my life that week, my coffee game, game was struggling hardcore. All I had time to grab was day-old coffee, left over my coffee pot that I'd forgotten to clean yesterday. And I hadn't even like done the right ratio because I was rushing yesterday, so it was like way too bitter. And it wasn't even a full cup of coffee once you pour it out, and it had that like super bitter, extra weird taste. It was very sad. So then I added some creamer. Who here likes creamer? Excellent. So I had some creamer, but then I ran out of creamer at that like awkward amount mark where it was like, oh no, I should have just gone without. So then I added some milk and sugar, and then it just kept getting worse and worse. And it just tasted like this nasty, should have quit while I was way less behind type of stuff. It was very sad. And I know there are hearts breaking around this room right now. <coughs> but I did not pour out this cup of sadness because I was committed to the time and the creamer that I had invested in it. So I brought my travel mug of sadness with me and walked two blocks to meet Michael at the Kyalpa house. And soon after arriving, Michael said some of my favorite words. Hey, let's go to the Cirque. Want me to buy you a cup of coffee? <laughs> no pressure, Michael, just over eight years, those have become some of my favorite words. <laughs> just, just reminding you. <laughs> so what do you think I said right then? No, no, thank you, Michael. I'm very committed to my cup of nastiness that I brought with me in this mug. No, I did not say that. My notes say, heck no, <laughs> I did not say that. I said, that sounds great, Michael. I will be right there. And then I marched to the kitchen sink in the Calpa house, promptly and confidently dumped my sad coffee down the drain, rinsed out the mug so as to not leave any nasty remains, and then embarked with Michael to the land flowing with foamed milk and caramel sauce. Now, let me tell you it would have been so awkward. Bringing my mug of nasty coffee still full to the Cirque, giving it to the barista and insisting that they try to make my caramel sauce latte in the same cup as my old coffee. It's a grande non-fat caramel sauce latte in case you ever want to just bring me one when you see me. I'm not, I've never been a barista, but I can guarantee that it would have spilled if they tried to do that. There's nowhere for it to go. Whatever ended up in my mug would have still tasted super gross because the nasty flavor of my old sad coffee would still have been dominating. That would have been very awkward. You guys already know this principle, I'm guessing. It's not like rocket science, it's common sense. You can't fill up a full cup. You have to first empty what's in it in order to receive the new stuff. Did you guys know it's the same principle for our lives? Sometimes we might think, okay, yeah, I'll follow Jesus. And then we try squeezing him into some spare corner or hour of our same old life. That's just like the awkward version of me topping off my mug of old coffee with a delicious latte and expecting it to taste like a latte. That just doesn't work because we're not actually transformed if we do that, and we're not going to taste the new in us. So if we want to taste the gift of life that Jesus is extending to us, the first step is to let go of our old life, uh, our old way of life, which is like where we make the rules, where we live on our terms, where we look out for ourselves as number one. Um, we do what we want to do, we want to do it, um, and then try to balance it with some good, that type of a thing. Um, if we let go of that and turn to God, then we've made space for the new life to, be, to fill us if we're not holding on to any drips of the old one. Friends, lattes are so much better than day-old half-creamered 
sadness coffee. <clears throat> and the new life that Jesus offers us is infinitely better for us to be filled up with. So when Jesus, 2,000 years ago, walked around the towns of his day saying, repent and believe or repent and follow me, this is exactly what he's talking about. Lattes, no, I'm kidding. Repent means to just pull a 180. It just means to like completely turn from the direction you've been going and go in a new direction, following Jesus, letting him call the shots. So to be a disciple of Jesus, the first thing that we choose to do is to leave our old way of life, where we live for ourselves and we reject God by just always letting sin rule our lives. And we turn in a new direction and live in re relationship with Jesus. We have to move our allegiance from the world that's got an expiration date and is passing away to put our allegiance in the eternal one that's going to replace it really soon. We got to leave to receive. Thank you. This page is very stuck. Jesus was straight up in his own words about what that took. Mark 8, 34 to 35 um, records him telling people, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will end up losing it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. John 6, 66 through 69. Um, this is right after Jesus was like given a big talk telling people, reminding them again of what it really took to follow him. And scripture says, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus turned to the 12 disciples and asked, you do not want to leave too, do you? Peter answered him, I love Peter, and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. A guy like Peter gets it. Yes, the cost is high. You got to dump out what's in your old cup. But when you see that what you have is nothing in comparison to what you're being offered, it's a total no-brainer. You know that you're trading up. So just to kind of pause and check in, um, as you hear me talking about this, what's coming into your mind right now? Do you hear Jesus inviting you to let go of something old so you can really start tasting what he's all about? Do you hear him giving you an invitation to receive something new? And if you haven't ever given Jesus 100%, but you're kind of keeping one toe in the old way of life of yourself in the world and one toe in the new way of Jesus' kingdom, um, I think you should just think about what's holding you back from going all in either way. So just keep thinking about that stuff as we keep going tonight. The second part of the call to be a disciple is the call to be with. So for those who are willing to leave their old way of life and join Jesus's, Jesus invites them to the second part, a call to be with. Mark 3.14 says, Jesus appointed the 12 so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and give them authority to drive out demons. So the reason for the first one for leaving is so that we can be with. The reason we die to ourselves is so that we can be made alive with Jesus eternally, the author of life, so that we can receive a life that's nothing like the world can ever offer. So this might be a little bit of a repeat, but just to kind of remind you of what a disciple was like in that day, um, back in 30 AD, that was a young person who just left everything behind to devote themselves to following a master, to being a student of a master. It wasn't like it is here where you just show up for class for 50 minutes, maybe, and then go back home. It was like you devote your entire life. You say, bye mom, bye dad, bye trade I've been practicing forever, um, bye action figures, whatever. 
I'm going to go follow this teacher wherever he goes. I'll eat what he eats. I'll sleep where he sleeps. I don't have a, the plans. He has the plans. I'm just following. And they would do that so that they could walk in the shadow of the master and learn from him, not to pass a test, but to adopt his way of life. It was just like an all-day osmosis, it's for you science majors, of worldview and values and thinking and character transferring from the teacher to the student. So for disciples of Jesus, being with him is essential for becoming like him. So how can Central Washington University freshmen and music majors and ed majors, science majors, undeclared majors, how can we be with Jesus today? I just have a, a brief little list of three ways to be with Jesus. One of the best ways to be with Jesus today is to read his word, the Bible. The Bible is so amazing because all the teachings and stories and words in it are so powerful. And oftentimes when you read these like thousands of years old words, it's like they reach out to you exactly where you're at today. So many times they just comfort you where you're hurting. They guide your situation and they connect you with the part of God's heart that you really need to be reminded of today. And that's because they aren't just old stories. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we can be equipped for every good work. God is, is not just like watching us read old stories. He is ministering to us and like teaching us as we read about him in this book. We're hanging out with him, not just reading about him. So you can try it. You can just like start reading the Bible and and see God like start pointing out things to you or like drawing your eye to cer a certain thing. Letting Jesus transform you is one of the best ways to hang out with him today. Another way is talking to him in prayer. You don't have to worry about like fancy words or what prayer should sound like. You can just talk like he is a person, which he is, like on the other end of the phone. You can talk like it's your mom or, or else you could like write it down in a journal. Or if you really want to, you could look up um, the book of Psalms, it's like right in the middle of the Bible. Um, so many good pre-written prayers by real people who were living real lives, kind of like you and me. And so they've written down some really good prayers that often you can just like find one and kind of repeat that too if you want to. So remember what Michael said last week, conversations go two ways. So as you practice talking to God, also take a few minutes to just kind of be quiet and see if he would speak to you. Um, I know it sounds weird to try to listen to God for the first time. I remember when I did that as a sophomore for the first time, and I was just like, I want to know it's him. <laughs> I don't know what that thought was. Anyways, um, but I think you'll know it when God talks to you. And once you hear God put thoughts in your head, it can change your life. So I would just encourage you to bear through the weirdness and just do it because you could hear from God. Third way to hang out with him that I'm telling you tonight is doing with him whatever he asks you to do. John 15, 5 through 8, Jesus says, I'm the vine. He's using an analogy to his peeps. I'm a vine, and you guys are the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that just gets thrown away and thrown into the fire and withers. Um, those ones get burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So bearing fruit equals, like, doing stuff. And so the good news is that remaining in Jesus and bearing fruit by doing things with him, it's not really that complicated. It's pretty simple, all the stuff I'm talking about. 
Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's easy. Like, grace is free, but it's not cheap. Like, it's simple, but that it's not totally easy. Um, just like becoming a great athlete or a great scholar or chef, probably, um, isn't easy. But those things are pretty simple. You just keep putting in the practice every day, doing the things that you know you need to do, and then it becomes really natural and you grow. Um, so just continuing to do good things with Jesus that he's telling you to do through his word and through prayer, um, that's a great way to be with him all day long. And then as we're wrapping it up, um, there's, there's also a twist to what I'm talking about because Jesus doesn't want us to just hang out one-on-one with him because leaving our story to join his story means we also leave our independent life to join a community. We join a team of other disciples. So just like I'd first joined cross-country for my own reasons, my weird reasons, um, but I realized at the end of the season I had joined a family, a community. Um, I couldn't have finished some of the toughest parts of cross-country without those friends, those guys and girls cheering me on. I couldn't have finished some of those races or hill workouts without them cheering me on. Um, And it's really similar to that as a follower of Jesus. Um, Being in close relationship with like-minded and unlike-minded disciples is the only way we can really be a disciple of Jesus. Otherwise, it's just theory that we don't actually practice. So we have to live in community with others through stuff like core groups and hanging out together. Um, As a reminder of what the first community of disciples looked like, um, like Michael read last week, Acts 2, 41 through 47. I'm just going to read that really briefly as we're winding down tonight. Those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the disciples' number that day. So what did these brand new followers of Jesus do right from the start? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everybody else was filled with awe and wonder at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anybody who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So these disciples were beyond just the first 12, but they had already learned Jesus' way of life really well. You caught the eating of carbs. Jesus loved eating carbs. His disciples loved eating carbs. We still eat them in core groups today, biblical. Um, There was so much welcoming in of other people. There was so, they did a lot of miracles, if you notice that. It wasn't because they were like superheroes. It wasn't because they had like gone to seminary or taken spiritual gifts tests or anything like that. It was just because they had been with Jesus and he put his presence and his power in them so they could keep doing what Jesus had been doing on this earth pushing back the kingdom of darkness and bringing the kingdom of God to restore what the enemy had stolen. I used to think discipleship was just the be devoted to teaching part. Now I realize that all of it, including the carbs, is being a student of Jesus and living it out with other people. And this doesn't just happen at church on Sundays or Kyle on Tuesdays. It happens at midnight in your dorm room, and I know you're up talking to the people on your floor, and in your apartments and your living room and stuff like that as well. Um... And as we live those out in core groups, and as the earliest disciples live those out, God keeps adding more people into their number every single day. And that brings us to the very final part, the call to go and multiply. I'm just going to touch on this super fast because we're going to talk about it in a few weeks. But Jesus teaches us to become more like him every day. And part of our mission is to go continue announcing 
this awesome invitation with everybody in the world because he's, he's done this and in, is inviting everybody. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is where Jesus says, basically, wherever you find yourselves going, make disciples. Help people come to know me. Help them leave their own story and jump all into my story. And I'm, I'm going to be with you the whole time that you do that. So as we're wrapping up tonight, who can be a disciple? The answer is anybody who says yes to Jesus' invitation. Doesn't matter where your background is. You should check out in the biographies of Jesus, um, the 12 guys that he had in his core group. He had extreme liberal liberals and extreme conservatives who had previously wanted to kill each other. He called, like, different races and ethnicities. He continued everywhere he went. He was calling priests to prostitutes. He was calling the top 1% to the lowliest of the low that nobody else would even come on the same side of the street as. Jesus wants everybody to say yes to his invitation to new life and relationship with him. So just in case any of you guys tonight are still thinking you have to do this or that, you have to, like, get your life together or clean up something in your life or memorize the whole Bible before you can say yes to Jesus' invitation, I just want to relieve you with the truth that that's not how it works. You just have to say, yes, Jesus, I want to start getting to know you and start from there. No matter where you're at, you're only one step away from surrender. You're only one step away from being made new. And as soon as you decide to take that step, Jesus will be right there to meet you. So you can just totally take that invitation, start reading the Bible, getting to know him, talking to him, asking him to guide you in your day. I have to on my arm. You will fly. You guys might be surprised at how much those simple things can transform your life. Um, but whenever you're ready to even say a full yes to Jesus' invitation, to turn fully away from your old life and join his life, um, he's going to make you a new creation. And that is the coolest thing this planet has ever seen. And it's the best journey you could ever go on, the best invitation you could ever say yes to. So as our worship team comes up, the two questions that I would like all of us to think about as we're responding to God tonight. First, what invitation is Jesus extending to you right now? Maybe it's uh, crossing the line from living life on your terms to living, get li joining in life with Jesus, letting him call the shots. Maybe it's just taking the first step to getting to know him or deciding to read the Bible. Or if you've been following him for a while, there might be a different invitation he's giving you tonight to sacrifice something over to him or take a courageous step or to live less selfishly and more missionally or to devote yourself in a new way. Listen to God tonight and think about if he's giving you an invitation. Um, I bet he is. And then the second question is, would you like to say yes to him tonight? So as our worship team kind of leads us in responding to God, I'm just going to pray to transition us. God, I thank you so much that you are real and that you are relevant and that you care about each person in this room and their life more than they even do, uh, more than their families do, more than their friends do. I just thank you that um, you are in the business of making all things new and in redeeming what uh, this world has um, like injured and, and hurt. Um, you, you make those things new and you heal us dramatically, and I praise you for that. Um, God, I just pray you'd help every person tonight to... Um, hear from you and to sense kind of what you're guiding them in or if you're extending your hands kind of like Aladdin who's like do you trust me um, that you would help us just be able to to respond to you and know that you are trustworthy and you are gentle and you are good and you're strong enough to help us do whatever you ask us to do um, so we worship you because you are worthy Jesus and um, give you all the glory tonight amen <laughs>